Chapter 46 of Consuelo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Consuelo by George Sand. Chapter 46. This language reassured Consuelo for the present, but did not leave her without apprehension for the future. That Albert's fanatical self-denial had its source in a deep and unconquerable passion, the serious nature of his character and the solemnity of his countenance could leave no doubt. Consuelo, perplexed, though at the same time moved with compassion, asked herself if she could continue to consecrate her cares to this man, so unreservedly and unchangeably in love with her. She had never treated this sort of relation lightly in her thoughts, and she saw that with Albert no woman could enter upon it without serious consequences. She did not doubt his devotedness, but the calmness which she had flattered herself she should restore to him must be irreconcilable with the existence of so ardent a love and the impossibility she felt of responding to it. She held out her hand to him with a sigh and remained pensive with her eyes fixed on the ground and plunged in a melancholy reverie. Albert, said she at last, raising her eyes and finding his anxiously fixed upon her with an expression of anguish and sorrow. You do not know me when you wish to impose upon me a character for which I am so ill-fitted. None but a woman who would abuse it could accept it. I am neither proud nor a coquette. I think I am not vain, and I have no passion for sway. Your love would flatter me if I could share it, and if it were so, I would tell you instantly. To afflict you in the situation in which I find you, by the reiterated assurance of the contrary, would be an act of cold-blooded cruelty which you ought to have spared me, and which is nevertheless imposed upon me by my conscience, though my heart detests it, and is deeply grieved in accomplishing it. Pity me for being obliged to afflict you, to offend you perhaps, at a moment when I would willingly give my life to restore you to happiness and health. I know it, high-souled maiden, said Albert, with a melancholy smile. You are so good, so great, that you would give your life for the meanest creature. But I know that your conscience will bend to no one. Do not then fear to offend me in displaying the sternness which I admire, this stoical coldness which your virtue maintains along with the most moving pity. It is not in your power to afflict me, Consuelo. I am not the sport of illusion. I am accustomed to bitter grief. My life has been made up of painful sacrifices. Do not then treat me as a visionary, as a being without heart and without self-respect, in repeating what I already know, that you will never love me. Consuelo, I am acquainted with the circumstances of your life, although I know neither your name, nor family, nor any important fact concerning you. I know the history of your soul, 
The rest does not concern me. You loved, you still love, and you will always love, one of whom I know nothing, whom I do not wish to know, and with whom I shall never compete. But know, Consuelo, that you shall never be his or mine or even your own. God has reserved for you a separate existence, of which the events are hidden from me, but of which I foresee the object and end. The slave and victim of your own greatness of soul, you will never receive in this life other recompense than the consciousness of your own power and goodness. Unhappy in the world's estimation, you will yet be the most serene and the most fortunate of human creatures, because you will ever be the best and the most upright. For the wicked and the base, dear sister, are alone to be pitied, and the words of Christ will remain true as long as men continue blind and unjust. Happy are those who are persecuted, happy those who weep and who labor in trouble. The power and dignity which were at this moment stamped upon the lofty and majestic forehead of Albert, exercised over Consuelo so great a fascination that she forgot the part of proud sovereign and austere friend which he had imposed upon herself to bow to the spell of this man's influence, so inspired by faith and enthusiasm. She supported herself with difficulty, still overwhelmed with fatigue and emotion and trembling from excess of weariness. She sank on her knees and, clasping her hands, began to pray fervently and aloud. If thou, my God, she exclaimed, dost put this prophecy in the mouth of a saint, thy holy will be done. In my infancy, I besought from thee an innocent and childlike happiness, but thou hast reserved for me happiness under a severe and rude form, which I am unable to comprehend. Open thou mine eyes, grant me an humble and contrite heart. I am willing, O oh my God, to submit to this destiny, which seems so adverse and which so slowly revealed itself, and only ask from thee that which any of thy creatures is entitled to expect from thy loving justice, faith, hope, and charity. While praying thus, Consuela was bathed in tears which she did not seek to restrain. After such feverish agitation, this paroxysm served to calm her troubled feelings, while it weakened her yet more. Albert prayed and wept along with her, blessing the tears which he had so long shed in solitude, and which now mingled with those of a pure and generous being. And now, said Consuelo, rising, we have thought long enough of what concerns ourselves. It is time to think of others and to recollect our duties to them. I have promised to restore you to your family, who already mourn and pray for you as for one dead. Do you not desire, my dear Albert, to restore joy and peace to your afflicted relatives? Will you not follow me? So soon, exclaimed the young Count in despair, separate so soon and leave this sacred asylum where God alone is with us, this cell which I cherish still more since you have appeared to me in it, this sanctuary of a happiness which I shall perhaps never again experience, to return to the false and cold world of prejudices and customs. Ah, uh, 
Not yet, my soul, my life. Suffer me to enjoy yet a day, yet an age of delight. Let me here forget that there exists a world full of deceit and sorrow, which pursues me like a dark and troubled dream. Permit me to return by slow degrees to what men call reason. I do not yet feel strong enough to bear the light of their sun and the spectacle of their madness. I require to gaze upon your face and listen to your voice yet longer. Besides, I have never left my retreat from a sudden impulse or without long reflection. My endeared yet frightful retreat this terrific yet salutary place of expiation, whither I am accustomed to hasten as with a wild joy, without once looking back, and which I leave with doubts but too well founded and with lasting regret. You know not, Consuelo, what powerful ties attach me to this voluntary prison. You know not that there is here a second self, the true Albert, who will not leave it, a self which I ever find when I return, and yet which besets me like a specter when I leave it. Here I have conscience, faith, light, strength, in a word, life. In the world there are fear, madness, despair, passions which sometimes invade my peaceful seclusion and engage with me in a deadly struggle. But behold, behind this door there is an asylum where I can subdue them and become myself again. I enter sullied with their contact and giddy from their presence. I issue purified, and no one knows what tortures purchase this patience and submission. Force me not hence, Consuelo, but suffer me gradually and by prayer to wean my attachment from the place. Let us then enter and pray together, said Consuelo, we shall set out immediately afterward. Time flies. The dawn is perhaps already near. They must remain ignorant of the path which leads to the castle. They must not see us enter together, for I am anxious not to betray the secret of your retreat, and hitherto no one suspects my discovery. I do not wish to be questioned or to resort to falsehoods. I must be able to keep a respectful silence before your relatives and suffer them to believe that my promises were but presentiments and dreams. Should I be seen to return with you, my absence would seem disobedience, and although, Albert, I would brave everything for you, I would not rashly alienate the confidence and affection of your family. Let us hasten, then. I am exhausted with fatigue. And if I remain here much longer, I shall lose all my remaining strength, so necessary for this new journey. We shall pray, and then depart. Exhausted, say you? Repose here then, beloved one. I will guard you religiously, or if my presence disturb you, you shall shut me up in the adjacent grotto. Close this iron door between us, and, while sunk in slumber, you forget me, I shall until recalled by you, pray for you in my church. But reflect that while you are praying and sunk in repose, your father suffers long hours of agony, pale and motionless, as I once saw him, bowed down with age and grief, pressing with feeble knees the floor of his oratory, and apparently 
only awaiting the news of your death to resign his last breath. And you for aunt's anxiety will throw her into a fever, incessantly ascending as she does the highest towers of the castle, vainly endeavoring to trace the paths to the mountain, by one of which it is supposed you departed. This very morning, the members of your family, when they assemble together in the chateau, will sorrowfully accost each other with fruitless inquiries and conjectures, and again separate at night with despair and anguish in their hearts. Albert, you do not love your relatives, otherwise you would not thus, without pity or remorse, permit them to suffer and languish. Consuelo, Consuelo, exclaimed Albert, as if awaking from a dream. Do not speak to me thus. Your words torture me. What crime have I committed? What disasters have I caused? Why are my friends thus afflicted? How many hours have passed since I left them? You ask how many hours? Ask, rather, how many days? How many nights? Nay, now, many weeks. Days? Nights? Hush, Consuelo. Do not reveal to me the full extent of my misfortune. I was aware that I here lost correct ideas of time, and that the remembrance of what was passing on the earth did not descend with me into this tomb. But I did not think that the duration of this unconsciousness could be measured by days and weeks. Is it not, my friend, a voluntary obliviousness? Nothing in this place recalls the days which pass away and begin again. Eternal darkness here prolongs the night. You have not even a glass to reckon the hours. Is not this precaution to exclude all means of measuring time? A wild expedient to escape the cries of nature and the voice of conscience? I confess that when I come here, I feel it requisite to abjure everything merely human. But, oh God, I did not know that grief and meditation could so far absorb my soul as to make long hours appear like days, or days to pass away as hours. What am I, and why have they never informed me of this sad change in my mental organization? This misfortune is, on the contrary, a proof of great intellectual power, but diverted from its proper use and given up to gloomy reverie. They try to hide from you the evils of which you are the cause. They respect your sufferings, while they conceal their own. But in my opinion, it was treating you with little esteem. It was doubting the goodness of your heart. But, Albert, I do not doubt you, and I conceal nothing from you. Let us go, Consuelo, let us go, said Albert quickly throwing his cloak over his shoulders. I am a wretch. I have afflicted my father whom I adore, my aunt whom I dearly love. I am unworthy to behold them again. Ah, rather than again be guilty of so much cruelty, I would impose upon myself the sacrifice of never revisiting this retreat. But no, once more I am happy, for I have found a friend in you, Consuelo, to direct my wandering thoughts, and restore me to my former self. Someone has at length told me the truth, and will always tell it to me. Is it not so, my dear sister? Always, Albert, I swear to you 
that you shall ever hear the truth from me. Power divine, and the being who comes to my aid is she to whom I alone can listen, whom alone I can believe. The ways of God are known but to himself. Ignorant of my own mental alienation, I have always blamed the madness of others. Alas, Consuelo, had my noble father himself told me of that which you have just disclosed, I would not have believed him. But you are life and truth. You can bring conviction and give to my troubled soul that heavenly peace which emanates from yourself. Let us depart, said Consuelo, assisting him to fasten his cloak, which his trembling hand could not arrange upon his shoulders. Yes, let us go, said he, gazing tenderly upon her as she fulfilled this friendly office. But first swear to me, Consuelo, that if I return hither, you will not abandon me. Swear that you will come again to seek me, were it only to overwhelm me with reproaches, to call me ingrate, parasite, and to tell me that I am unworthy of your solicitude. Oh, leave me not a prey to myself, now that you see the influence you have over my actions, and that a word from your lips persuades and heals, where a century of meditation and prayer would fail. And will you, on your part, replied Consuelo, leaning on his shoulder and smiling expressively, swear never to return hither without me? Will you indeed return with me? he rapturously exclaimed, looking earnestly in her face, but not daring to clasp her in his arms. Only swear this to me, and I will pledge myself by a solemn oath never to leave my father's roof without your command or permission. May God hear and receive our mutual promise, ejaculated Consuelo, transported with joy. We will come back to pray in your church, and you, Albert, will teach me to pray, as no one has taught me hitherto, for I have an ardent desire to know God. You, my friend, will reveal heaven to me, and I, when requisite will, recall your thoughts to terrestrial things and the duties of human life. Divine sister, exclaimed Albert, his eyes swimming in tears of delight. I have nothing to teach you. It is you who must be the agent in my regeneration. It is from you I shall learn all things, even prayer. I no longer require solitude to raise my soul to God. I no longer need to prostrate myself over the ashes of my fathers to comprehend and feel my own immortality. To look on you is sufficient to raise my soul to heaven in gratitude and praise. Consuelo drew him away, she herself opening and closing the doors. Here, Cinnabur, cried Albert to his faithful hound, giving him a lantern of better construction than that with which Consuelo was furnished, and better suited to the journey they were about to undertake. The intelligent animal seized the lamp with an appearance of pride and satisfaction, and preceded them at a measured pace, stopping when his master stopped, increasing or slackening his speed as he did, and sagaciously keeping the middle of the path, in order to preserve his precious charge from injury by contact with the rocks or brushwood. Consuelo walked with great difficulty, and would have fallen twenty times but for Albert's arm, 
which every moment supported and raised her up. They once more descended together the course of the stream, keeping along its fresh and verdant margin. Zdenko, said Albert, delights in tending the naiad of these mysterious grottoes. He smooths her bed when encumbered, as it often is, with gravel and shells. He fosters the pale flowers which spring up beneath her footsteps and protects them against her kisses, which are sometimes rather rude. Consuela looked upward at the sky through the clefts of the rock and saw a star glimmer in its blue vault. That, said Albert, is Aldebaran, the star of the Zingari. The day will not dawn for an hour yet. That is my star, replied Consuelo, for I am, my dear Count, though not by race, by calling, a kind of Zingara. My mother bore no other name at Venice, though, in accordance with her Spanish prejudices, she disclaimed the degrading appellation. As for myself, I am still known in that country by the name of the Zingarella. Are you indeed one of that persecuted race, replied Albert? If so, I should love you yet more than I do. Were that possible? Consuela, who had thought it right to recall Count Rodolstadt to the disparity of their birth and condition, recollected what Amelia had said of Albert's sympathy for the wandering poor, and, fearing lest, she had involuntarily yielded to an instinctive feeling of coquetry. She kept silence. But Albert thus interrupted it in a few moments. What you have just told me, said he, awakens in me, I know not by what association of ideas, a recollection of my youth, childish enough it is true, but which I must relate to you, for since I have seen you, it has again and again recurred to my memory. Lean more on me, dear sister, while I repeat it. I was about fifteen when, returning late one evening by one of the paths which border on the Schreckenstein and which wind through the hills in the direction of the castle, I saw before me a tall, thin woman, miserably clad, who carried a burthen on her shoulders and who paused occasionally to seat herself and to recover breath. I accosted her. She was beautiful, though embrowned by the sun and withered by misery and care. Still there was in her bearing, mean as was her attire, a sort of pride and dignity, mingled, it is true, with an air of melancholy. When she held out her hand to me, she rather commanded pity than implored it. My purse was empty. I entreated her to accompany me to the castle where she could have help, food, and shelter for the night. I would prefer remaining here, replied she, with a foreign accent, which I conceived to be that of the wandering Egyptians, for I was not at that time acquainted with the various languages which I afterward learned in my travels. I could pay you, she added, for the hospitality you offer, by singing songs of the different countries which I have traversed. I rarely ask alms unless compelled to do so by extreme distress. Poor creature, said I, you bear a very heavy burden. Your feet are wounded and almost naked. Entrust your bundle to me. I will carry it to my abode, and you will thus be able to walk with more ease. This burden dearly becomes heavy, as she replied, with a melancholy smile, 
which imparted a charm to her features. But I do not complain of it. I have borne it without repining for years, and over hundreds of leagues. I never trusted to anyone besides myself. But you appear so good and so innocent, yet I shall lend it to you until we reach your home. She then unloosed the clasp of her mantle, which entirely covered her, the handle of her guitar alone being visible. This movement discovered to me a child of five or six years old, pale and weather-beaten like its mother, but with a countenance so sweet and calm that it filled my heart with tenderness. It was a little girl, quite in tatters, lean but hale and strong, and who slept tranquilly as the slumbering cherub on the bruised and wearied back of the wandering songstress. I took her in my arms, but had some trouble in keeping her there, for, waking up and finding herself with the stranger, she struggled and wept. Her mother, to soothe her, spoke to her in her own language. My caresses and attentions comforted her, and on arriving at the castle, we were the best friends in the world. When the poor woman had supped, she put her infant in a bed which I had prepared, attired herself in a strange dress, sadder still than her rags, and came into the hall, where she sang Spanish, French, and German ballads, with the clearness and delicacy of voice, a firmness of intonation, united to a frankness and absence of reserve in her manner, which charmed us all. My good aunt paid her every attention, which the Zingara appeared to feel, but she did not lay aside her pride and only gave evasive answers to our questions. The child interested me even more than its mother, and I earnestly wished to see her again, to amuse her, and even to keep her altogether. I know not what tender solicitude awoke in my bosom for this little being, poor and a wanderer on the earth. I dreamed of her all night long, and in the morning I ran to see her. But already the Zingara had departed, and I traversed the whole mountain around without being able to discover her. She had risen before the dawn, and with her child had taken the way toward the south, carrying with her my guitar, which I had made her a present of, her own, to her great sorrow, being broken. Albert! Albert! exclaimed Consuelo with extraordinary emotion. That guitar is at Venice with Master Porpora, who keeps it for me, and from whom I shall reclaim it, never to part with it again. It is of ebony, with a cipher chased on silver, a cipher which I well remember. A.R. My mother, whose memory was defective from having seen so many things, neither remembered your name nor that of your castle, nor even the country where this adventure had happened. But she often spoke of the hospitality she had received from the owner of the guitar, of the touching charity of the young and handsome senor, who had carried me in his arms for half a league, chatting with her the while as with an equal. Oh, my dear Albert, all that is fresh in my memory also. At each word of your recital, these long slumbering images were awakened one by one, and this is the reason why your mountains did not appear absolutely unknown to me, and why I endeavored in vain 
to discover the cause of these confused recollections which forced themselves upon me during my journey, and especially why, when I first saw you, my heart palpitated and my head bowed down respectfully, as if I had just found a friend and protector, long lost and regretted. Do you think then, Consuelo, said Albert, pressing her to his heart, that I did not recognize you at the first glance? In vain have years changed and improved the lineaments of childhood. I have a memory wonderfully retentive, though often confused and dreamy, which needs not the aid of sight or speech to traverse the space of days and of ages. I did not know that you were my cherished Cinderella, but I felt assured I had already known you, loved you, and pressed you to my heart, a heart which, although unwittingly, was from that instant bound to yours forever. End of chapter 46